causes whereby backslide in Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. And with all, and yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly, saith the Lord. And the Lord saith, said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than the treacherous Judah. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and the truth here, Father. And ask that you be with our preacher, Lord, as his back is healing. Uh, help it to heal quickly, Father. And ask that also you be with the uh, the preaching tonight, Lord. Uh, have it be your word and your word only, Father, and remove me from it. Have your truths to be conveyed and affect our hearts and minds, Lord. As all in your son's name, amen. All right, so we got to back up to who is Jeremiah. Not, uh, you know, it's not common who these men were in their backgrounds, but it's important that you know who they are uh, moving into Jeremiah because the purpose of Jeremiah is we just jump into some of these Old Testament books we kind of get out of place. We just heard where Jabin was down in his Bible college and said, no, you need to read things in context. Well, the Old Testament is very important to read in context because, number one, it wasn't written to us. It was written to the nation of Israel. So that's very important to remember. Do not take church and put it over Israel's name in the Old Testament. You'll end up with replacement theology and a lot of bad theology at that point. Also, do not put your name in the place of Israel because those promises are not to you. They are to the nation of Israel. However, with every Old Testament uh, sermon, the caveat, you can see God's character clearly in all of this. His character does not change. His pleasure and displeasure does not change in what we do. But this is not us. But what's important that we look at, though, is what are we learning through what God is teaching about himself in his relationship with Israel as Jeremiah the prophet is teaching them. And what is tonight's message is going to be called, Two Wrongs Just Make You Wrongerer. That's all it is. Two wrongs make you wrongerer. And I like wronger because I know Chrissy's not here, so she would be having a fit. But that is what it does, right? It's ridiculous. And we're going to look at the nation of Israel and Judah, who were supposed to be united as one, but they were divided. There was a, a civil war that happened. And uh, we see that in our own country. Civil war divides. It doesn't unite. And so they were divided. And I'm sure that, I'm sure uh, Wes probably will cover some of this over the tabernacle series, over what happened during this time period. It was very tumultuous. Things that should have been holy were made profane. And so they were divided. And there was a, and so we have the, Israel up north, and we have Judah down south. Judah had the nation's capital, though, of, of Jerusalem. But there was a problem. Israel, Israel was out of sorts, and Judah was watching. Judah was watching Israel make all kinds of mistakes. And so what's the purpose of this book? Is that Jeremiah wanted to warn Judah to turn from idolatry and avoid the destruction that was coming. They were going to be taken over by, as he was prophesying to them, you're going to have a Babylonian invasion. And of course, with that came Nebuchadnezzar. He kind of tested the waters, too, when he came in. God even gave them so much warning. He said, you're going to be overtaken by the nation of Babylon. I will tell you this up front. He even had Nebuchadnezzar come in once, twice, and then take over the third time. He came over multiple times. And so I'll tell you what, if China or Russia started creeping into the United States with a bunch of their armed forces and setting up military bases and training in our backyard, would we go, oh, that's, that's okay. But they were fine with it. They had gone that far. 
And so, and so Jeremiah is warning them that this is going to come. And so you have to understand the history of where these people were. So Saul was the first king of Israel, after, and after him was David. Most people know David as the giant slayer, and, and uh, I'm pretty much preaching to people who know this because this is a Sunday night crowd. Most of you come on a regular occasion. And so David was a giant slayer, the man after God's own heart. Well, David's son, Solomon, he was the one that was requested wisdom. And he had more wisdom than any man that lived outside of Christ. And so, and so after him, though, came two of his sons, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And this is where the chaos happened. The two of them got into a fight over who would be the genuine ruler over the country next. And so, unfortunately, Rehoboam, who was the rightful heir to the throne, went in and sat on the throne, and instead of taking the counsel of the elders who had been there for a long time and seen a lot of stuff, now listen, younger people, did not listen to the ones who had been there. He said, no, I'm going to take the counsel of my peers. Tell you what, if you want marriage advice, don't ask a teenager. If you want running a country advice, don't ask a 20-year-old. You go to who? The ones who have been there. The aged men and women who have been there and seen things. They can give you the advice that you require. But he rejected it. And so the north fell under Jeroboam. And he kept, and he kept the, the nation of Israel after this, after this war. And the south was under Rehoboam and was named Judah. Fast forward through the southern kingdom's history now. This is where Jeremiah comes in. We fast forward through 15 kings in 300 years, and we land at Jeremiah. How old is the United States? Uh-oh, public math. 200-ish-ish years. Pretty close, right? I'm not going to try to do 1776 to 2024, over 200, so we're good. So it's over 200 years. We're not even at 300 years yet. And they had gone through 15 kings, some good, some bad. But the northern kingdom only had bad kings. They had plenty of bad examples to, to look at. And so 300 years later, we come to the time of Jeremiah, after this civil war. Judah had a mixture, of course, like I said. But, they had, but the, the nation of Israel had zero good kings. And had already, at this time, 80 years prior, been overtaken by the Assyrians. And you say... Wow, they sure probably learned their lesson, right? They're being warned, this is going to happen to you. By the way, it happened a generation ago. God's going to do the same thing to you if you don't pay attention. Because two wrongs just make you wronger. He's giving you a warning. But God's long-suffering is going to end pretty soon. And so they were on the path for the same punishment, but under the Babylonians. And after only a few years after the book of Jeremiah was recorded, which gets kind of weird, he wasn't told to record the book of Jeremiah until chapter 36. And then he records the book of Jeremiah with all the words that God gave him. A few years after Jeremiah, their nation fell. And so who was Jeremiah? He was a son of a priest, commanded to stand married. He was a young man, uh, used in his youth to, uh, he used his youth to, as an excuse initially to not serve God. He served under Josiah, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, uh, Zedekiah, and Nebuchadnezzar, Gedaliah, and Johanan. Some of those are not Israelites. He served under non-Israelite rulers in the nation of Israel. He preached against their worship of the Queen of Heaven in, in chapter 7, verse 18, sacrificing their children to pagan gods in 731. And the valley, uh, and they probably happened in the valley of Tophet outside of Jerusalem. Not probably, he says it happened in the valley of Tophet outside of Jerusalem, 
where they would make their children pass through the fire. We see this kind of happen in Scripture over and over where they fall into this trap. Probably to the false god Moloch and the murder, and they also were known for murdering their own prophets. So you need to be cautious of a country that knew God, knew the truth, but turned their back and spit on God. We're connecting the dots here with kind of where we're at today, right? Our nation, we hear, we came out of Christianity. And now what happened, though? We're seeing a turn, not a turn, we actually have seen the turn from Christianity happen over 200 years later. Now, we don't hold a promise, do we? Does God have an American flag sitting behind his throne in heaven? Nope, he's not going to swoop down on a bald eagle. He comes down on a horse. Christ returns on a horse, not a bald eagle. He doesn't have, he doesn't have uh, American flag sleeveless t-shirts and all this nonsense that people picture God as having. He is God, but he has not made a promise to us. But he has made a promise to Christians. And so, you need to be cautious of a nation that knew God, but has turned their back on him, and sacrifices their own children for the selfish pleasures while condemning those who preach truth and life. Wow! Is that not where we're at now? Go to work and tell someone you are pro-life and see what happens. Go to work and preach the gospel and see what happens. It's not a friendly response. They might be cordial, but it's not a friendly response. In Jeremiah, though, Jeremiah lived in a little bit more extreme conditions because he prophesied that Judah needed to return to God, but he suffered persecution even from his own family. I come from a family that is not very happy that I am a Baptist. They don't enjoy that situation. In, in fact, I was cornered by an aunt and berated in front of my wife because I, why do I think I'm too good to be Catholic is what I was told. And so, and so even in his hometown, he was persecuted by family, his hometown, and the religious who claimed to be following God to the point that his own family plotted to kill him. He was whipped, thrown in prison, and tossed in a deep well. Wow, what a life. You see, because the truth is not always popular with people. We're going over apologetics on Sunday mornings and, and uh, Sunday school. The truth is not popular. In fact, everybody's okay with confusion, but they're not okay with truth. They seem to enjoy the murkiness. You know why? Because it gives excuse. Black and white gives no excuse. And so Hebrews, 11, 30, Hebrews chapter 11, turn there real quick, and then we're going to get back to Jeremiah. It's important to set the stage for this. I, I do not like jumping into the Old Testament without context. Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 36 and 37. It says, And others had a trial of cruel mockings, talking about the prophets of the Old Testament. This is the writer of Hebrews, which some say is Paul. Can't be proven, but highly likely. But he's saying the prophets of the Old Testament. Now, prophecy, I want to clarify this, does not mean future events. That means people also were prophesying the Word of God. Despise not prophesying in Thessalonians. It means to preach the Word of God. A lot of the Old Testament prophets were actually preaching what they already were told in scriptures. It wasn't new. They knew all of this stuff. And so what happened to them, though, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, we see, and others, meaning the prophets, those preaching the word of God, had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, wow, that were tempted, 
Wow, they, they'll even use temptation to make you slip, won't they? If they can just get you to have a drink, smoke a cigarette, watch a little bit of this, say a little bit of that, they got you. You no longer are an effective prophet once that happens. We're slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. All these and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. You see, the, some of the worst treatment you will get is from people who profess to be followers of God. It's a shame, but it's true. Truth is not that popular. But we see, we see though, that, um, that Jeremiah was living in a world that was not, you know, it was a little bit more extreme than where we're at now. A lot more extreme, I guess you could say. We're not being sawn asunder. If they pull us up and start cutting us in half, we can go back and make comparisons, I suppose. But Jeremiah was living in a world that was not friendly to things. They had turned from God, though knowing him before. And they were, they were even hurting their own children. It's unnatural. So let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 3. Now we have the stage set. He says, The Lord said also unto me, In the days of Josiah the king, hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? He's asking, have you seen it? It's a redundant question, of course. She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. And I said, after she had done all these things, turn, turn thou unto me. But she returned not, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. We're going to read down through verse 9. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. Turn to Proverbs real quick. See what's being at play here. It's Proverbs 21.11. says, When the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise, and when the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. You know, it, when you, you think about it, we, I've seen this animation before. It's like the, the fish with the hooks, right? And you see the hooks all down in the water. And you see, the, you see the one fish go up, and there's three of them floating there. And the one looks at the worm, and it puts its mouth on it, and it's gone. And the other fish look around at it, and they're like, Hey, Larry, did you see that? I'm like, yeah, Dan, I saw that. And then they bite it, and they're gone. They're not learning from the mistakes of the ones around them. The simple will be made wise just by watching the consequences of those around them. But we have a culture that repeats the problems that they witness around them. And so church doors are closing faster rate than they are opening. According to the last census in 2019, now this was pre-COVID, so it's actually gotten worse since COVID. So pre-COVID, uh, the numbers go up even further after COVID. So 3,000 churches were opening and 4,500 closed. That means that three churches close for every two that open right now. So they're closing at a faster rate than opening. Though these numbers are just all Protestant denominations, the deceit of the world seems to be winning against the truth of God in our congregations. Something's happening. Now, yes, we do live in a nation that is saying, I would turn my back on God. I've turned to naturalism, humanism, atheism, all the isms, right? They'd rather see pantheism, Wiccans, anything, anything but the truth. Yes, that is a fact. 
But the churches are closing because of Christians, not because of lost people. Because what are churches made of? Lost people or Christians? Christians. The doors close because of Christians not doing their duty. So excluding those Protestant denominations, uh, there's, there's a lot of those things we would call non-Christian outside the bounds of, of what would be a biblical church, and so I didn't take those into account. But three closing for every two that open. Do we see that here in our, in our uh, small town here? We do. We see in North Star Borough, they're closing all the time. People aren't interested in genuine faith anymore. In Proverbs 7, 7, let's turn back there real quick. I should have stayed there. You're not learning from the mistakes. That's what Jeremiah is warning them. Learn from the mistakes that you're watching around you. Proverbs 7, 7. We see him beheld among the simple ones. I discerned among the youths, the young man, void of understanding. Lacking knowledge is going to hinder you greatly or it's going to hurt you greatly. And so again, we're covering this on Sunday morning. So much of this ties because we're covering truth. I mean, that's like everything in Scripture. So it always ties back. So it's hard to not just go back and repeat a lot. But the man was void of understanding. And so what happens when you're void of understanding? We, we look at the nation of Judah here. They were watching the mistakes of Israel. Something must have been missing in their brain that they did not put two and two together that there was a problem. And so what is this though is that they're void of understanding. The tolerance that they were having was due to ignorance. They, they were not learned in the Word of God. And so that's why we need to stop making excuses to not learn the Word of God. And unfortunately, I think a lot of Christians look at the Word of God and say, I'm saved, but if I continue down this road any farther, what's it going to cost me? I'm not going to be able to do the things that I enjoy to do. Well, don't forget Look at what's happening in the world. Is that what you want? Do not repeat it. Do not copy it. And we have to look at ourselves as a church, too, is if they're closing faster than they're opening, what is wrong? Don't sit here and say, well, you know, that's just kind of the way we've always done it. Your generation has only seen what your generation has seen. It is important to get into Scripture and see what should our congregation look like. What should our focus be? That's why I liked the, the Sunday morning series pastor was doing on what is a biblical church? It's important to go back and revisit those things. What is our purpose? What should we be doing? Are we here just for the potlucks and the socializing? Then we're off base. And we see that's causing churches to close. People are not even interested in that anymore. And so ignorance on false teaching too comes with that. The wolves in sheep clothing. We're not going to recognize when they wander in the door. My son gave a sermon on that, uh, talking about from Proverbs 1, when you're ignorant of the truth and the things that should be right, you're not going to catch when something's wrong when it comes into the door. It's going to start to proliferate. And Satan knows these things. And so the contemporary church movement, charismatics, and the prosperity gospel have put God on a stage like a circus act. And this is why it's difficult to have a serious conversation with a lost person. We do not live in the time of Jeremiah. We do not live in the time of our church fathers in times past. We have new problems to deal with that they did not. They didn't even have the internet. There's a lot of things that are more predominant today that they never even thought they would have to deal with. We cannot copy their simple tactics of the past. 
Yes, maybe they applied things out of Scripture that worked then, but people ignore now. That doesn't mean you come up with crafty ways of doing things that the world devises together. That means that you need to be extra careful of the traps that are now. Because if you look at just the traps that were 100 years ago, you're going to miss the ones of today. We have to be very cautious of the traps we can fall into today with how we build our congregation. And so success is not going to happen by copying what Jeremiah says, the whoredoms that we see happening around us. And so, these, and so the, the modern church movement has a building full of lost people. That's not a church. Getting people in the door is not the ultimate goal. We were talking about that this morning. We were standing back there. We had a lot of people out traveling and all of these things, and pastor said, numbers never affected me. And I, and I was like, it's true. Numbers are not the issue. Faithfulness, now that will get a, a preacher down. Can't get you to be faithful. But numbers is not the objective. And so we have, a, we have a local assembly of saved people who are coming together for what? Unity in Christ. And so other churches are doing okay. And so we think, well, we'll just operate like them. We can't fall into that trap. And Jeremiah's warning, look at what Israel's doing. I'm giving you plenty of warning. And so let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. amazing how books of the Bible disappear while you're preaching. Matthew, yeah, there we go. I think you'd be able to get to the first gospel. Matthew chapter 10, verse 15. He says, it says, Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. If you watch what everybody else is doing and the mistakes they make and think, well, God must tolerate it and they seem to be doing okay, their numbers are up, everything seems to be going well, we can just go ahead and do it too and God's going to wink at it? You're wrong. He said Sodom is going to have more mercy than you who watched. You have the, historic, the historical records. You have the eyewitness accounts of what is happening. You see the churches closing around you. Stop copying. You think he's going to be more tolerant of bringing in worldly devices to build a church as we, as we sit here and see other churches closing and we copy it? No, he's not. We see that in God's character. So we'll move on. It says in verse 9, And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. I will not get all the way into that, but we'll keep moving. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly saith the Lord. And, and the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than the treacherous Judah. There is the one, referring back to Sodom and Gomorrah. There's more mercy for the first offender than the second. That first fish that grabbed the hook, whoops, that's a mistake. The second fish that grabbed the hook, that was a plan. It wasn't a mistake. You saw it, and then you planned to do it. It's not called a mistake anymore. When we watch what's happening in the world around us with congregations shutting their doors, it's no longer a mistake when we do it. It's now a plan to fail when we do it. And God says there's more mercy for them because they were the ones that made the mistake, but you watched and you planned to do the same thing. And so, we, and so I'm going to pick on teenagers here for a minute. How many do we have? We one, two we got a couple here. Okay, so I'll talk to the teenagers real quick. 
Because today's teenagers and young adults hear from us older generation that they that they have it a lot easier than we did, and they're entitled, right? We, have we all thought that when you're older, you say, man, these teenagers, they got it so easy today, and they're entitled. They just have everything I never had growing up. It's so much easier for them. But is it? Is their battle any easier than it was for us? It's different, but I wouldn't say it's easier. Because look at this. Well, it's true that this generation may not be facing difficulties of our previous generations. And, and I found out recently that I actually classify as a millennial. I almost threw up. But, the, but I found this out, and I'm like, no way, no way. And we were, we were looking at it, and I said, no way. I'm not going to be a millennial. That's disgusting. And so, because I'm 1982, my wife is much younger than me in spirit, but she would be Generation X, right? And she said, well, clearly I'm Generation X. I was born in 1980, and you were born in 82, so you're millennial. And we were looking at this, and I was like, gross. This was several years ago we were looking at this. So there's no way. Well, it's not really when you were born. It's kind of the culture you grew up in, right? And so my dad, though, was born in 1938. He was pre-boomer. So I see all these memes and it says boomers do this and do that. I was like, my dad was the one before the boomers. Like, he was very crusty. My dad believed if you weren't bleeding, you weren't working. That was his philosophy in life. And so it was, that was just the world I grew up in. And so I look at my kids and my dad, he didn't care. He said, you're old enough to work, get a full-time job and go to school. I had to get a job. I remember I was barely old enough to even know how to spell my name, and I was working at a truck stop washing dishes. And then I begged, can I please stop? And I, I, it's a horrible job. And he said, sure, where are you going to work next? <laughs> and then I worked at a pizza place. That was my options. And my dad sat me down, and he was a lost man, but my dad sat me down, and he said, if I ever see you not working and supporting your family, he said, I will come find you. And I said, okay, but that was the mentality. And even when I was younger and in high school, uh, I was getting ready to graduate pretty soon, and uh, I was actually going into my senior year. I was a, a junior going into my senior year, and I, had, I was working my fingers to the bone, constantly saving money, because I wanted to go to college. Saving money and saving money. And believe it or not, that, where that white privilege card is in life that gives you free stuff, I haven't found that thing yet, because I had to pay for everything. I didn't get a single thing for free. And so... I was saving money, saving money. I wanted to go to college. And so I'm working as many hours as I can at, a, at my friend's pizza place. His dad owned the place, so he'd let me work a lot of hours, do a lot of extra jobs, earning tips and whatnot. And, and so uh, anyways, I get off and go to bed. It's probably midnight by the time I get to bed. Here's my dad at, at 5 a.m. Hey, I need you to come outside with me. I'm like, oh. okay, I come outside. Turns out he had gotten into a dispute with the guy who owned an excavator. So he decided his 18-year-old son was going to become the new excavator. So I went outside and had to dig a 26 by 26 foundation trench five feet deep by hand. And then I look at my kids and I say, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. Or he come knock on my door at 6 a.m. on a Saturday. I need your help. Because he would do odd jobs. He was a union. Sometimes he'd be out of work. And I, okay, what am I going to do? I need you to haul that mountain of, of shingles up that ladder by yourself. And by the way, three rungs are missing because it's broken. So I need you to climb up that ladder. That was my life. My dad loved me. Don't get me wrong. I, I loved my dad dearly. He's passed away now. The man taught me a lot. And he also taught me there's no mercy 
if you're not going to work. And so he taught me a lot. But I look at my kids and I say, you don't have to do that. You don't have to experience that. But I look at them now and they have a different struggle. And we see they're looking at the world now like, like going back to our text here, Judah looking at Israel. They're seeing mistakes. Are we preventing them from repeating it? We're so focused on the traps we could have fallen into, we don't look at the traps they're going into. We see it just from our lens. They have a whole different battlefield they're walking onto nowadays. And so the statistics show there's a problem. And so it's evident because the mental health struggles faced by many teens today did not exist when we were growing up. How many of you growing up had a friend kill themselves? Very few. Very few. I'm talking about like as a young child. It was very uncommon. It was rare to hear of these things. Nowadays, it's much more common to hear of these problems. So if they have it so much easier and life is better, why is the mental health declining in our youth? Because they have social media influences we don't understand. We did not grow up with TikTok and all of these things. We didn't grow up with social media influencers telling us that our value was in things that we can never achieve and being miserable. Fake realities put down on the internet. Fake social media. Do you know everybody posts on Facebook? That's a lie. Nobody posts on there the bad times. Nobody puts on there an argument with a spouse. Nobody puts on there when they're having financial struggles. Sure, they'll post they went to Disneyland, having a good time with the family. And then they're divorced, and you go, what happened? I thought everything was good. Are we helping them miss these things or avoid these things? Because now they deal with a lack of face-to-face interaction. They're in a world of information overload. The world is able to throw at our children worldly philosophies at machine gun fire rates that we cannot combat. They're hearing a hundred lies for every one truth you can feed them once that phone comes on. Those empty philosophies are just screen swipe after screen swipe after screen swipe, short video after short video, just feeding things that are wrong. And do you think Satan loves that tactic? Sure does. Do you think he's making those videos? No, he's not making the videos himself. He's training people to make those videos. He creates cultures that make those videos. He affects governments that make those videos. And so the entertainment is constantly pouring in, and the eye gates of our kids are flooded with more carnal pleasures than we ever knew of in our entire lives. You know what's crazy? Is I was, <laughs> you can give a, a toddler, uh, I was reading a thing and I laughed because they said, you can give a toddler a pair of shoes and they sit there, they have no idea what they're doing. You give them a tablet and they're like, it's like they just intuitively know how to access everything on that thing. They don't need your help getting into that. They can figure out the world of sin real quick. They need help with the fundamentals. And so depression rates are heavier on Internet users 10-plus hours a day. It's 20% higher than, than light Internet users. If you just reduce your kid's exposure to this stuff, it's amazing what it does to their brain. Over the last 50 years, there's been a steady increase in suicide, suicidal thoughts. And now suicide is the number two cause of death between the ages of 10 and 34. It's replaced accidents. We are not training to fight our battles. We need to train them to fight their battles. 
We look at Judah and we say, how, Judah, did you watch Israel make all these mistakes and you still made the same problems? How are we sitting here watching the world make the same mistakes and going, here, you can have access to it and we just hand it down to the next generation? This generation was trained by their parents, don't forget. They were trained by their parents. I know we like to say, well, once they're 18 and out of the house, they're somebody else's problem, right? No, they're going to be an example of the problem that you created. We need to train them and make sure they identify and you look, what is Israel doing that's a mistake and how can I train you to avoid it? We need to do the same thing in our congregations. Why are churches closing faster than they're opening? Yes, we're not in the days of D.L. Moody. This was a long time ago. We're not in the days of Livingston. This was a very long time ago. We're in the days of you and having to identify the problems Israel's bringing into the church. And I say Israel's an, an example of the worldly things that Judah was watching. Because as we read down farther, what happens? He says in verse 10, And yet for her heart treacherously, sister Judah, hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly. That's a really cool word. I know Pastor knows what that word means because that's what his, his um, podcast is named after, unfeigned. But it means to be disingenuous. It means that by title they called themselves followers of God, but in action they had nothing. We have a whole book, James. We could sit here and read this with that mindset right there. Disingenuously calling yourself a Christian. Christian means you follow Jesus Christ. But do the actions match? He says, by title they said they were a follower of God, but in action they were not. It was disingenuous. And with her, and what does it say? It says, and the Lord saith unto me, the backsliding in Israel hath justified herself more than the treacherous Judah. You see, two wrongs just make you wronger. But what are we preparing? What are we preparing our congregation for? Are we paying attention? Are you looking? I'm sure there was a lot of people in Judah that really weren't on the news thread for Israel. But were they even trying to be? Are you actively trying to look and say, what threats has sane influence in the culture around us that's causing three churches to close for every two that open? What threat is Satan bringing in to our, our culture today? What threat is being presented to my children? Because guess what? I'm going to be gone, pastor's going to be gone, you're going to be gone, and pretty soon I'm going to have Henry's and Eben's filling pulpits. But what are they filling the pulpit with? Have we trained them to fight the fight of their generation, or, or we only talked about ours? Because their battle is totally different. I cannot battle on the internet. I can look at a YouTube video and do a reply, but ask me to start doing casting, I have no clue. Pastor and I were back there looking at it, just trying to put a picture on the TV today, and we couldn't figure the thing out. That's where we're at. We're obviously aging. My back went out a couple weeks ago, and then he followed me. He thought it was so cool, he tried it too. And then he heard my story of muscle relaxers, and he was jealous. And he said, I want to be on muscle relaxers too. That looks really fun. Your pupils get big, and you're happy, and you just have no idea what's going on. You're just happy to be around and not be in pain. But that's what I challenge you with, church, is remember, two wrongs just make you wronger. And are we actually actively trying to look at what is happening around us and train and equip 
our generation and the next generation how to avoid those pitfalls because God's not going to have mercy because you were lazy and I was lazy. I'll go ahead and close it there and give it back to Pastor.